I'm with Scott Spillman, Executive Director of Mudsock Youth Sports. If that sounds like a new name, it is, and we'll talk more about that later. Scott, uh, welcome. Good to have you on a podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Larry. I'm really excited to do this. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. You know, I must tell you, I thought about you, your staff, your board, and that huge group of volunteers that you have. And I was thinking about all of you right around mid-April, because that's the traditional time for opening day for baseball and, and softball. It's always a big event. Didn't happen this year. What were your thoughts when mid-April came around? Yeah, we were really disappointed. You know, uh, there's something about baseball and softball opening day that really kicks off spring, I think, for the entire community. And it's just something we always look forward to. You know, sometimes we we aren't fortunate enough to have the greatest weather, but as long as we can have kids out in the fields by that day, we, we feel like it's going to be a good year. And, you know, with everything that happened, we really were sad that we weren't able to have opening day or have spring sports at all. Yeah. And that uh, brings me to, to the whole general question here, because what, I guess this really started right around mid March when we all knew something bad was, was on the horizon with the uh, COVID-19, the uh, novel coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. Uh, generally, when this began to sink in, how did you, your staff, your board, everyone involved in your organization, how did you start to grapple with it? And how are you still grappling with this challenge today? Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned we've got a incredible team here at the Mudsock Youth Athletics Office, and we've got over 2,000 volunteers to help support us. So fortunately, we had some medical professionals that were reaching out to us really back in February. And then we're saying, you know, this is going on in the world. You know, we're not seeing it in the United States yet, but this should definitely be on your radar. So we actually had started working on some social distancing guidelines before that was even really a term. We had uh, written up a couple different plans to try to limit physical touching, like high fives, fist bumps, things like that. Uh, but it quickly, you know, devolved into goodness. We're, you know, it's not going to be a matter of when it's, we're not going to have anything to offer. And it was really hard. You know, uh, as I mentioned, people really kind of look at youth sports and, you know, mid April as the kickoff to spring and everything involved in without that kickoff, it became hard to see, you know, what, what's our spring going to look like? What's our summer going to look like? Um, but we've been fortunate that we've been trying to stay positive and been really working hard, keeping our heads down, try to work towards a fall registration, which we're happy to announce that we opened on June 1st. Uh, and as long as everything continues to progress the way it looks like it's progressing, you know, we're really excited about trying to get those kids out in the fields and on the courts that weren't able to this spring. You know, I want to talk more about that in a moment, but uh, I want to, kind of delve into this and it's, it's interesting and great to hear that you have so many medical professionals uh, involved in your organization but as you listen to them and you do plan for the sports that are to come now and in the fall for instance how are you beginning to talk to them about okay what are you going to have to be looking at in terms of health screenings health practices uh 
uh, you know, it's very hard to social distance when you're practicing and and and, and you're uh, at the event and, and most sporting events. So, with those challenges, what are you what are you looking at in terms? Because I know you're going to get this uh, from the parents as they register, you know, for the fall sports. So, uh, what are your thoughts along those lines? What are people telling you? Yeah, so we've been trying to take in as much information as possible. We've been consulting with medical professionals. Uh, we have a, you know, a great partnership with the city of Fishers and with HSE schools and working with those individuals. And we've been following CDC guidelines. Uh, there's a lot of other good youth sports kind of consortiums that are out there that I try to be as active as possible. From what we've been hearing and, you know, what seems to be kind of the new norm for youth sports, we're going to try to follow a similar procedure. We're asking all coaches, players, parents, referees, spectators who are sick, you know, if they've got a persistent cough, have been running a temperature or displaying any symptoms that could suggest that they have COVID-19 or anything, you know, surrounding that, that they don't attend practice game. Uh, We want them to be safe and really think about, not only their own health, but the health of everyone around them. We're encouraging all of our coaches to really have that first practice conversation with the kids that, you know, youth sports celebrating and, you know, positive reinforcement is kind of ingrained in it, but we're going to really have to take a step back and work on new ways to celebrate. So, you know, try to limit those high fives, those, those fist bumps, those pats on the back. Uh, We know that, especially when you're dealing with kids. We've got some kids that are as young as age four in our programs. They're going to hug. They're going to do things. As long as we can try to limit that and mitigate it as much as possible, I think it will go a long way. We're going to ask our coaches to wear uh, face coverings during practices. Right now, for sure, uh, while we're still in the rollout of the governor's guidelines, and then we're going to continue to evaluate that in August when our fall sports uh, start up. We're asking all of our coaches to wipe down any shared equipment after practices. So we're going to be providing them with uh, cleaning wipes and hand sanitizer. And we're going to really encourage families to that can or if they have it to bring their own equipment. So especially when we see in our baseball and softball sports, if you've got your own bat or if you've got your own helmet, bring that instead of using the shared equipment that we provide just so we can limit how many people are utilizing those things. And then for practice grouping and for games, any opportunity where we can keep kids six feet away from each other, coaches six feet away from each other, we're going to encourage it. But to your point, youth sports is going to involve some people being close to each other. So we're just going to have to do our best to, uh, when we are close together, we're, we're taking all the other precautions to keep those kids safe. You know, the the one thing that uh, baffles me and that scares me a little bit about all this is that when I talk to, to health professionals, they say two different things. That bothers them. Number one, they're still learning something new about this virus almost every day. You know, what you may think you know now may change tomorrow. The, sec- yeah. the second thing that, that is, is concerning is the fact that there are so many asymptomatic positives. In other words, people who have no symptoms but are, are able to spread the, the virus to other people. The reason I, I mention that is because with all that in mind, as you plan your fall sports program, are you looking at all into testing as being a part of that mix? So our, our hope is that uh, since the city of Fishers has been so gracious in offering the, the testing, 
and that data that we'll work with the city on uh, cross-referencing our lists for those who are registered and who has been tested. Uh, we haven't discussed going the length of testing everyone as they, you know, attend or having uh, radar uh, thermometers at the at the gates. But certainly, if uh, we're required to do so, or if it gets to the point where that's what's is necessary, that we can make sure that our community feels safe, then that's what we'll do. Uh, right now, uh, we've been we've been trying to follow the CDC guidelines and what the city of Fishers has been sharing with us about trying to get back into these groups and that type of testing hasn't been required, but we certainly want to make sure that we're following everything that is required. So it's, it's too early to tell. And, and uh, you're hoping that it, it doesn't come down to that. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is that accurate or? Correct. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I always hate to say that we're, you know, we're hoping, you know, we try to be as thorough as possible and have every contingency in place, but based on the information we're seeing right now, I think that's, that's our direction. You've already touched on this. Let's talk more about it because two of your major partners in providing all these programs are the city of Fishers and the HSC schools. They provide the facilities that, um, that, that your organization uses. And I always like to tell people, and I think you and I've talked about this, that I've lived in cities where the parks department does everything. It has the facilities, but they run the programs. They have to hire staff to do that. Yet here, the uh, the city and, and the schools also are providing you with the facilities, yet you are providing uh, the program as, as a 501c3 nonprofit overseeing all this. And so the city certainly has uh, a skin in this game to, to support you. So with that in mind and with all the challenge, challenges you're having, talk about the discussions you've been having recently with the city and, and with the uh, local school corporation. Yeah, so the conversations we've been having are, you know, what makes sense and what can we do safely? You know, our number one priority is the participants and their families' health and well-being. And we certainly don't want to put anybody in a situation where we could be the reason why we see a spike or we see people uh, who were otherwise healthy now having new health concerns. So with the City of Fishers, we've worked really hard on you know, what do we need to do to take that extra step to be safer? So I know the city of Fishers has been exploring uh, installing hand sanitation stations at some of our larger parks. And that will help us because some of the larger parks are usually the locations where we're utilizing the green space for fields. Uh, I know that they've increased their uh, cleaning of all the bathroom facilities. And we've been encouraging and in turn, our families and our participants that, you know, instead of lining up in a large queue at the bathrooms, you know, to kind of space back out or, you know, wait a little bit. If you see a line is kind of forming to maybe if you, if you can hold out or maybe walk to the further bathroom at the location. And with the schools, we the conversation's really just centered on what we're going to hear from the governor and the director of education for the state of Indiana on how, and when, if schools are going to open up and how that's going to affect outside groups. Uh, we're, we're very aware that, you know, there's going to be a lot of kids that possibly could be going back into the school facilities and they may want to limit how many of those kids are coming in on weekends or on weeknights. So we're just trying to have some contingencies in place that if we need to utilize other facilities to ensure the safety of our kids in the schools, we can go that direction as well. 
Yeah, I think it's something people don't think about. If uh, school is not in session, that really changes the paradigm as, as far as your access, and that's not just here. It's a it's a statewide issue. So, yeah, I, I I hear you. So there are a lot of unknowns, I think, and that's that's the sad part of this for you, as as you try to plan forward. Now you mentioned fall registration already, so it's just uh, started uh, recently. How's it? Is it going about as as in the past? How's it going right now? Yeah, so we ended up opening registration a month later than we normally would, and that was mostly in part because we wanted to see where the Indiana reopening phases were going. We didn't want to open too soon, and if we saw that all of a sudden the phases were going to be elongated or if things were going to change, you know, we're never hoping for a spike or for the the curve to start becoming steep again, but we always, you know, in this final work, we have to prepare for everything. Um, but because all that data shows that things have been progressing well, we opened up a month later. And honestly, it's been great. We've been hearing from a lot of folks that, you know, their kids were really sad that they didn't get to participate in the spring, but they were practicing in their backyard or in their basement and their garages. And now they're even more excited about fall sports. So uh, through three days, we're actually higher than we would be for the first three days of registration normally. So we're looking at that as a as a positive. Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised. People are ready to get out and 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 to get outside, or even uh, some of them are inside. So just remind people, especially people who may be new to the community, uh, what sports you offer in the fall. Yeah, so we offer a lot of the same sports that we offer in the spring, but we also do have some new offerings in the fall. Uh, one of the biggest that we started last year that we're really proud of is we have the first field hockey program in the state of Indiana and they're starting their second year. So right now it's for girls only, but uh, field hockey is a international sport that's played by both boys and girls, men and women. So um, that opened on June 1st, but then we have, you know, our traditional sports, we've got fall baseball, we've got football, tackle and flag. We've got, Soccer, which we have both spring and fall. We've got fall softball. We've got cross country and we've got volleyball. And then uh, also associated with our football league, but really is its own sport in itself, is our cheer program that occurs in the fall. Yeah, cheer programs are are very popular in certain parts. And uh, yeah, field hockey is a growing sport without without question. So you're seeing some interest in that. We are. And I think the greatest compliment that we can receive is that when we started the conversations in 2018 with uh, this field hockey group, that was it's called the Crossroads Field Hockey Club that was started by some former Indiana University Division I athletes. Uh, they met with us and we really felt strongly that it was a good sport. It paired well with our girls lacrosse program that happens primarily in the spring. A lot of girls that play lacrosse in the spring then will play field hockey in the fall. We've seen and heard from those folks that helped us start our program that now we're hearing Westfield and Carmel and Brownsburg and Avon. They're all reviewing and seeing if they want to have field hockey in their youth sports programs, too. So by, you know, another couple of years, we might see field hockey exploding all over central Indiana. Interesting. Well, I know that field hockey and lacrosse are two separate sports, but there are some similarities there. So I, I see that. Uh, let me ask you this: You, have, as a nonprofit, you you do fundraising events. The one you've you've started in recent years is the Kick Corporate Challenge. You had scheduled it for May fifteenth. You had to postpone that. Uh, 
are you expecting to get that in uh, in the near future? That's a great question. We we've talked about it internally. We really want to focus on getting all of the normal programming in, and we're hopeful that if we get all the access to all the fields and all the facilities that we normally use, then we can turn our attention to having that kickball tournament. Obviously, as a nonprofit, we're always looking for uh, fundraising streams, but more so this year than ever, we really just want to make sure that we're sticking to our, our core, you know, our core directive and making sure we're getting all the kids on the field. So if we can't have the fundraiser this year, because we're focusing on getting all of our programming off, that's okay too. Uh, but if we can, we'd love to in that mid September, early October timeframe that we've done the event in the past, because we know that it's enjoyed by so many in our community. Well, that brings me to the next question, because uh, one thing about it, it, the old HSC sports and the current Mudsock youth uh, program is, is that you've never turned anybody down because they couldn't afford to play. You always made sure that uh, you accepted everyone if there were financial challenges. You always worked with those families. And one reason you were able to do that is because of support from the corporate community here. And, and they support you in many other ways, too. Well, you know, uh, the economy is is not in good shape. We don't know what the, the near, or even uh, far future calls for. We don't understand what's going to happen. This is a paradigm where the American economy has never seen before. So my question to you in that regard is uh, those people, those uh, business people who have supported your organization over the years, are they giving you any indication? Are they saying we, we can stay with you at the current level or are some of them coming to you and say, look, we love your program. We want to support it, but we're going to have to cut back or we're going to have to take a year off. Are you hearing anything like that? You don't have to use any specific names of businesses. I'm just curious about an overall uh, message you may be getting. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations with our uh, corporate partners and you're right. We really rely heavily on them, both at the Mudsock level and our individual leagues, you'll see, you know, at Billerkey Park and Oleo Fields, we've got lots of local businesses that, and some large corporations that help support our programs and offset so many of the costs that are associated with youth sports. And we've just been trying to, trying to be really flexible. Uh, you know, we had renewals that had come up uh, really that started in March when we started seeing the COVID-19 response going on. And, you know, we've been working with all of our partners on trying to fulfill it. If it means we need to look at, you know, restructuring the contract to backload once they see more revenue coming through, we've been happy to do that. We've been happy to pause partnerships and saying, you know, you've been a longtime partner. Don't worry about the funding right now. We'll still support you. We're still going to promote you. We're still going to have signage up where we have it. And we'll re-talk about this in the future. Uh, we've been really fortunate. And, you know, we have amazing partners, all of them help support us. I don't want to only call out one and not the others, but you mentioned our scholarship program and IU health has been a longtime partner and they've actually helped earmark some of their funds that they provide us for that scholarship program. And they're committed to us and that program. So even though we've seen, you know, our revenue and our, our corporate dollars decrease, that's the last thing that we're going to cut from our programming. We're always going to offer that scholarship program because we feel very passionately that we need to get as many kids out in the field as possible. So more, more so than ever, when we see families that in our community have been affected, you know, we've seen some parents have been furloughed or have been relieved of their duties. And 
more, they're going to need those types of programs and our kids are still going to need the outlets. So we're still going to offer that scholarship program, no matter how much corporate support we have. And at least in the near future, you're able to sustain all the programs you currently have. Yes. So we, as part of our, uh, you know, budgeting each year, we always try to be as conservative as, as possible. Uh, we have fixed costs, uh, like every organization that we need to, to cover. You know, I've shared with a lot of different folks that we, you know, we hated the fact that we had to cancel spring sports. The last thing anybody on our staff wanted to do and our, you know, our volunteers that helped facilitate the programs wanted to do was cancel. Uh, but we're, we're doing work behind the scenes at all times. You know, when you think of spring sports, the average person thinks, you know, come April, that's when it's happening. But four months prior to that, we've been preparing for it. We've been working with the city of Fishers on improving the fields. We've been working on marketing. We've been working on developing new programs. There's all these things that are going on. So, um, you know, we're always going to have some fixed costs associated, but we are fortunate enough that we're in a financial situation that we'll be able to continue providing programming as long as we don't have to see more cancellations for too many more seasons. Yeah, for anybody who's never been to opening day, hopefully there will be one in 2021. It's a festive day. It's a great uh, it's a great time. It's and we all missed it and it wasn't anybody's fault. It was the virus that did it and there was nobody else uh, involved in that. I want to talk about something else because on January 1st of this year, your organization changed its name from the long-standing, I think it's what close to 30 years, the moniker of your organization was HSC Sports. It was actually an acronym, the word sports. You switched that to Mudsock Youth Athletics the beginning of this year. So what I'd like you to do for me now is just explain how, first of all, how your organization reached the decision to undergo a name change and how you then arrived at Mudsock Youth Sports. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to, to go through the, the process. Back in really early 2019, we started having conversations about what our brand meant and you know what services we provided to the community. We felt strongly that we were offering something that was extremely integral to the development of children in our community, but we wanted to make sure that people still knew who we were and what we were doing. So we actually ended up partnering with IUPUI and some students on one of their uh, projects. It was actually a graduate student class to do some surveying and they surveyed our participants' families. Uh, we, we have a robust list of people that participate in our programs currently and people that have participated in the past. And they were asked a series of questions about what our program meant to them, what they felt about it, what they felt like we did well, what we could improve on what they thought of when they thought of HSE sports or what they thought of, of sports and the city of Fishers and everything involved. And we got a lot of interesting data back from that. Uh, we felt like from their findings, people did express that they enjoyed the programming, but there was a little bit of confusion on how sports and let's say sports youth soccer, which is our soccer league connected or our, Fisher's HSC Youth Baseball League connected to the sports organization. There was some sort of disconnect. So we were fortunate that we actually were connected through IUPUI with a marketing firm that's local called Right Hand. And they actually had one of their partners is a Fisher's resident who had had his uh, son participate in our program as well. 
and we retained their services to really dive a little deeper on that information. So we had some focus groups. We invited people to come in and have an hour session to really look at those questions and the connections. And we found that people understood their individual leagues and their purpose, but they didn't really understand that sports was an umbrella organization for all of those leagues. They also didn't understand that sports wasn't either a part of the city's parks department or because of the HSC name wasn't actually a part of the HSC school district. And while we value both of their partnerships greatly and we could not exist without those partnerships, we are our own separate entity. So we started having the conversations of what's a name that we can have that we can really start putting out in the community that is different, that shows a distinct difference between the HSE schools and the city of Fishers, but has meaning to both of those organizations as well. And we focus grouped a lot of different names, but ultimately Mudsock kept bubbling up. We kept hearing, hey, remember the you know town of Fishers before that it was unincorporated. Some people called it Mudsock and the HSE and Fishers High School, they have a traveling trophy for when their sports compete. And that's the Mudsock trophy. And, you know, the big culmination is the football game between HSE and Fishers High School. And they, you know, it's the battle of the Mudsock. And we realized that's a great way for us to connect to our community still and have a name. We felt strongly that uh, changing it to athletics, youth athletics instead of sports, was to separate from the sports name because there were still a lot of people who would probably think of HSE sports or the acronym sports. So we went with youth athletics instead. Uh, and then we tried our, really hard to design a logo that incorporated our community. So we have the blue from HSE. We have the red from Fishers. We've got a mud sock that's, you know, roughly in the shape of Indiana that shows our heritage uh, being Hoosiers. And then it still incorporates the established 1987 because we didn't want to turn our back on all the history. As you mentioned, we've been providing youth sports programming to the town of Fishers and now the city of Fishers for over 30 years. So we wanted people to still understand that we're the same group that they always work with. We've just got a new name. And, and I, and, and I, I miss, I, you kind of corrected me because I said it was Mudsock Youth Sports. It's really Mudsock Youth Athletics. So I, I misspoke there, gave the wrong name to you. But, but no, that was an interesting process. So you did the focus groups, you listened, and you heard this word Mudsock. I find that interesting. Yeah. And the, the great thing is that now our, our member leagues, uh, so we have 12 member leagues, they're working on the process of changing their names as well. So uh, when we have folks that are registering for fall sports, they may notice that baseball is now Mudsock Youth Baseball and football is Mudsock Youth Football and field hockey is Mudsock Field Hockey. So we're trying to make that So it's a little more clear. So even though you may be participating in multiple sports, you still understand that all of these leagues are under the umbrella of Mudsock Youth Athletics. Yeah, and uh, here's the interesting part for me, and, and I don't know how if you ever if you get this very often, maybe especially this year with the new name, but I, I constantly run into people who either have not lived here very long or have recently moved here, and they say, where does this word Mudsock come from? Now, I think you actually put that in part of your announcement when you announced the new name, but uh, I've talked to a couple of, of local historians about this, and they say it goes all the way back to when Fishers was essentially a swamp, and you know most of the buildings were on stilts, it was that bad, and the people constantly had mud on their socks 
because there was so much mud around fishers. Is that the story you've heard? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. The, we, we've heard that, you know, the people that worked in that, that area were hard workers and, you know, they would be walking to and from work and they'd take off their boot and their sock would be covered in mud. They'd be a mud sock. And the people around the you know neighboring communities like Noblesville, they'd call people in the, our area. Oh, those are mud socks, you know, because of how they had had their socks covered in mud from a hard day's work. Yeah, it, was, it goes all the way back to the late 19th century, late 1800s, when uh, when this whole area was first settled. And yeah, it was a pretty tough town. If you read the history of Fishers, uh, it was it was a it was a rough place to be. And so that mud sock kind of does refer back to the history way before we were a a, a, a suburb of of, of uh, Indianapolis. So let me ask you this: you uh, because of the uh, coronavirus and uh, attempting to social distance, you know, I'm in my uh, home office here with my equipment. You're in your home on your computer. How much time do you and your staff spend uh, at home working and in the office there at at Billericay Park? Yeah, so it's it's been interesting. You know, we found that we've still been highly effective working from home, and we're working our way back to being in the office. Our staff, uh, after some conversations, felt. They were comfortable going back at 50% staff um, each day. So we've had two or three people in the office from nine to one to try to work on some things that couldn't be done from home, really answering the phones primarily, uh, getting back on some voice messages that we had had from when we were operating remotely. Uh, But I think it's more really a commentary on working from home in general. I'd be curious to talk to some other industries. It feels like you're working more. I felt so much that I owed it to everyone in our programs that because we had to cancel our program, you know, our spring programming and there was so much unknown that the least I could do is if anyone ever had a question about how we were handling COVID-19 response or what this meant for their registration or, you know, is this the last time their child's going to be able to play a sport? The least I could do is respond to an email or to give them a call when they asked instead of waiting the normal business hours. I think our staff felt the same way. We probably saw ourselves working more hours than we normally did in office. But I think that just kind of came with the territory. The nice thing was is that working from home, there was always that time to be able to take a mental break. You can go downstairs or walk over to the kitchen, make lunch. Uh, I was fortunate enough, my wife is a speech pathologist in Westfield, Washington schools. So she was working from home too. So there was some breaks where I got to chat with her during the day that I normally didn't get to have uh, and, you know, get her perspective from things, you know, what she was hearing on the news when it was going on or what conversations she was having with families in Westfield to kind of gauge the pulse of other communities. So uh, obviously we would always prefer to be back in the office and working together, but I think we've still been working really hard remotely. Yeah, I had that experience when I worked in the federal government. Uh, when I would uh, work out of the house, I, I got more work done, believe it or not. Anything uh, you would uh, like to add before we wrap this up? I think the only thing I would add is that, you know, I, I've been really happy to see all of the response that we've been seeing in the city of Fishers and how our community's really been supporting uh, our pr- program, Mudsock Youth Athletics, but also all the other great nonprofits during, you know, the quarantine, the essential personnel working and lots of working from home. Uh, and I encourage people to continue to do that as we start 
seeing our restrictions kind of be lifted and the social distancing guidelines being relaxed. It's been awesome to see communities come together and support each other. And I hope that we don't need a worldwide pandemic to remind us of the important things like that all the time, that we can continue that way in the future. Uh, you know, I, two that come to mind immediately to my good friends and, and partners in the not Fisher's nonprofit uh, coalition, uh, Jody Britton with the early learning Alliance network and Allison Gadsett, at uh, youth mentoring initiative. They've been doing awesome work and both of them have been, you know, very much affected by COVID-19, but they still have been communicating and providing resources to all of our families. And uh, I just hope that everybody can see how much of a benefit they've really been providing. Yes. And I, I know all nonprofits are challenged when economic times get bad. So I, I hope everybody's able to survive this, keep their, their all those programs are, are doing good work. Uh, Scott Spillman, we wish you and your organization well. It's been a tough spring and summer as you look forward to fall and continue to register uh, people for those sports. Good luck with that. And, and thank you very much uh, for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. And I hope that uh, you'll be able to get out and enjoy your a little bit of your retirement. I, I'm sure you felt like this was not the best time to, to hang up everything and then not be able to leave the house for a few months. Well, I was trying to back away from all this and uh, circumstances have, have made that very difficult. But thank you for your thoughts. And, and thanks again for, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you.